that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be in um, 1 John today, 1 John chapter 1 and 2. Um, and this happened a while back, um, the youth Sunday school class. We went through the entire book of 1 John. Um, and then one Wednesday night, I was um, privileged to um, be in front of the adults. Oh, wow, the adults. It's awesome. Um, but we went through um, John chapter 1. We actually went through the whole chapter, and we kind of um, discussed a few things. And so if uh, today I'm just going to kind of pick up where we left off, uh, do a little bit of a review um, in John chapter 1, and then continue on through 1 John chapter 2. Yes, 1 John. I did say John a second ago, but we're in 1 John. 1 John, 1 John, 1 John. So I read a couple of passages um, earlier, uh, and each one of those passages that we read this morning is going to have something to do uh, with our topic today. So let me just go ahead and we'll start with, um, well, let's start with the Word. Let's read. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to go through 2, 6. All right, so 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 6. All right, so here we go. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Oops, just lost my spot. There it goes. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So a while back, you all might not remember this, so we're going to do a little bit of a review. But pay attention to chapter 2, verse 1. John gives us a reason, kind of a purpose statement, for why he is writing what he's saying here in this section. Probably the whole book. But we're going to kind of use that, if you look at your uh, bulletins today, that is the theme, or not the theme, our, yes, wait a second, yeah, there, no, it's not in there, oh man, anyway, I titled my message and everything, but it's not in there, that's okay. So the title would be, if, we were, if I were to put a title on this, which I did, um, so that you may not sin, okay, so we're, gonna, we're taking that directly from chapter 2, verse 1. 
where John says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look back up at verse 5 through 10 in chapter 1, and we're going to ask the question, okay, what, how do we not sin? What is John telling us? What do we need to know? What is he telling us uh, about how not to sin? Okay? So there's some things we need to remember about how not to sin. And then in chapter 2, there's some things we need to remember if we do sin, or I should say when we do sin, right? When we do sin. Um, and then in the rest of chapter 2, we're going to look at, okay, if we remember the things from chapter 1, right, how not to sin, and if we remember the things, what happens when we do sin, what does that look like in a person, okay? So if we have all these things down, what does that look like in a person? So number one, all right, how not to sin. What do we need to do? What are some things we need to remember so that we may not sin? All right, look, go back up to verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message that you have heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about in the light of eternity, right? That's the theme that we've been going through, that Brother Bryce has been going through, that we've kind of been talking about here. And this is a very explicit verse where, God, where John says God is light, right? And what does that mean? We dealt with this a couple of Wednesdays ago. Actually, the first picnic at the park was God is light. That was our theme, or that was our uh, topic. Well, light has a whole bunch of, uh, a whole bunch of um, context to it. But basically and essentially, what we're talking about here is, and the very next verse kind of describes this for us, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, right? What's the whole light versus darkness analogy? Light, dark. If you're in the light, you're good. You're in the darkness, you're bad, right? The good versus bad, right? Uh, righteous versus evil, right? All that kind of stuff. That's all summarized in light versus darkness. Um, this is kind of what we're talking about, the keeper kingdom, you know, keepers of the kingdom, the VBS too, right? The kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light is God's kingdom. The kingdom of darkness is Satan's kingdom, right? Walking in the light, all that kind of stuff. So what does it mean? Why, how does knowing that God is light or knowing that God is good how does that help us not sin? Right? What is, okay, so God is good, so what? Right? Well, think about this for a minute. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, skip something. This is why I read James 1. Okay? Remember in James 1, it said, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Remember that? God is good, He gives good things, right? Coming down from the Father of lights. Okay, so how does that help us? Well, before we get to there, we need to look at the next thing we need to remember, okay? Remember number one, God is good. Then, let's look at verse 8 and verse 10 of chapter 1. What does it say there? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, this is verse 10, we make him a liar, and, the word, and his word is not in us. All right, so to summarize... God is good, man is bad, right? Man is evil, man is sinful, okay? God is good, man is sinful. 
And now notice what John kind of repeats there. It looks like he's saying the same thing. It's slightly different, right? John is saying, uh, if we say we have no sin, okay? That's like a present tense kind of thing. I used to sin, but I don't do that anymore, right? I'm good now. I don't do that anymore. We're good, okay? This would be the example would be the um, rich young ruler uh, came up to Jesus and said, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Jesus says, um, obey the commandments. Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't, um, well, yeah, don't commit adultery, don't, or honor your parents. What was the last thing? Covet, yeah, don't covet. And the guy goes, oh, I've done that since my youth. I'm good, right? I've kept those since my youth. I used to sin, but I don't anymore. I'm good to go, right? And Jesus challenges that. You can go back and read that. We don't have time to get into it right now. But verse 10 says something a little different. He says, if we say we have not sinned, right? That's past tense, okay? Past would be, I've never sinned to begin with. I'm a good person. I don't have a problem to begin with. Okay, this is, um, well, this is us without God, right? Every single person, if you ask them, are you a good person? They will say yes, okay? Unless they have the Holy Spirit in them, they go, no, I'm terrible, but thank goodness for Jesus, right? Unless they have the Holy Spirit in them, most of the time, you ask a person, are you a good person? They say, oh, yeah, I'm great. I'm a good person, right? And then you get into, this is the evangelism technique. Okay, have you ever lied before? Have you ever stolen? That kind of stuff. Anyway, what is John saying? People that think, oh, I used to sin, but I'm good now. What does that make you? You're a liar, (laughs) and the truth is not in you, right? Come on, don't tell me you used to sin, but you don't sin anymore. You're a liar. But the other one is even worse, Those who have not sinned, right? If you say you've never sinned, I'm a good person. What does John say there? You make him a liar. You make God a liar. How do you make God a liar by saying you've never sinned before? Well, God did a lot of stuff for us to save us from our sin, right? Sent his son, died on the cross, rose again, ascended into heaven, right? You remember that? We read in um, Romans 8, right, that he's ascended advocating for us in heaven, right? God's doing a lot of work to save you. And if we say, oh, I don't need to be saved, well, then he did all that work for nothing, right? We make him a liar. Impossible. God does not lie, nor will he be mocked. So how does this help us then? How does this help us not sin? If we know God is good and man is bad, how does this help us? Well, You come up to a scenario in life, a choice, fork in the road, so to speak. You have two options. You say, oh, this is what I want to do, but this is probably what God wants me to do. Hmm, what should we choose? If we know God is good, man is bad, which one, (laughs) right? Man, bad. God, good. Let's choose good stuff, right? Let's go with, oh, I know God wants me to do this, so this must be the best thing for me, right? This must be the best thing for me. How do we know, how can we not sin? We remember, God is good, right? Man is bad. Super simple, 
But how many times do we forget that? How many times do we come up to a situation and we just react instead of actually think about what's going on, right? We just choose exactly what we want to begin with. But anyway, that's most of the time what it comes. So, third thing to remember. God is good. We're not. And look at verse 9. This is fantastic. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? God's good. We're bad. Confess that. Say that to yourself. Remember that, that God is good and we're not. Confess your sins. What does Jesus say? I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All right? Confess your sins to me. This is the amazing part. Notice what it says. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Faithful and just. We talked about this this past Wednesday. God is faithful. All right? We talked about that a lot. Faithfulness, all right? Think about it. God will do it. If he says he's going to do it, he will do it. And he just said there, he is faithful to forgive you if you confess your sins. Confess to him, and he is faithful. He will do it. He will never fail. But then, he's also just to forgive. All right? Just to forgive. That means he has the power and the authority to forgive your sins. What if, for example, um, just a second, I punched my brother Michael right in the face. Happened many times, but... Say on this one occasion, just pow, got angry at him, smacked him, smacked him good. And then felt bad about it, so I go to my other brother, um, let's say I go to my other brother Aaron. <sighs> Aaron, I'm so sorry I punched Michael in the face, will you forgive me? Like, what? Why are you asking me? Right? You need to be going and ask forgiveness for Michael, because Michael is the, one, the only one who's just to forgive you, Right? Aaron is not just, doesn't have the authority to forgive me for something I didn't do to him. But now Jesus is saying, I am just to forgive all your sin. So even when I punched my brother in the face, what was I attacking? I was attacking him directly, but then that was an attack on God's image. Because my brother is made in the image of God, created specifically for a purpose. And I just attacked him. If I call him a name, oh, you're stupid, you know? What am I calling? I'm calling God who made my brother. You made a mistake, God, with my brother. Whoa. Every offense is an attack against God, right? Every lie is an attack against the truth. Jesus is the truth, right? Every time we sin, the offended party is God. This is why he had to go to the cross, He put that sin on the cross so that he could forgive the debt, right? He is the offended party. He is the one we need to seek for forgiveness. And he is the only one that has the power to forgive all of our sins, right? Because he is the offended party. But this is the promise. He will forgive and he will cleanse us of our sin. So three things we need to remember how not to sin. Remember, God is good. Remember where our sinners, and remember to confess that very thing. That very thing. If we continually confess 
that we are bad, that we are sinners, and God is good, that'll train our hearts and trains our mind to remember, oh, God's good, let's pick what he wants to do. I'm not good. Let's try to tamper down my selfishness and look up, right? Living in the light of eternity, that kind of thing. So, let's go on. Chapter 2. All right, my little children, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Second half of chapter 2 says, but if anyone does sin. Okay, so what do we need to do or what do we need to remember if we do sin? Because when in doubt, even though you can remember in your head, God is good, you can remember I'm bad, and you can confess that daily what's most likely going to happen. Are we going to live perfectly? No, we're probably still going to sin, right? Because that's our nature. We're sinners, right? She heard like this. Yeah, we're sinners, right? No? Do I need to prove it to you? No? Okay. All right. We're all sinners, right? So when John is saying so, okay, you remembered this, we know this, but if you still sin, here's some things to remember, okay? Here's some things to remember. Two things here. Um, really cool. Two things. What does he say? Chapter 2, second half of verse 1. But if we sin, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. All right? If we do sin, remember number one, we have an advocate with the Father. All right? What's an advocate? All right? Well, an advocate is one who takes up the case of another. Right? This would be kind of like the job of a lawyer or an attorney. Uh, attorney. <laughs> an attorney of some kind, right? They will, there's somebody out there that has a problem, so somebody will come alongside and will take up their case and argue their case for them, right? And this is what Jesus does for us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He takes up our case and he intercedes for us to the Father. And this is what we read in Romans chapter 8. I'll read it one more time just really quickly. This is what he says. Um, Who is to condemn right? The simple question, who's going to condemn us? It's Jesus, or who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's pleading for us at the right hand of God. This is so important why we remember and you can't leave out the fact, right, the work of Christ, that he actually ascended into heaven and is alive, seated at the right hand of God the Father, because he has a job up there. His job is to intercede for us, to plead our case on our behalf, right? To plead our case. Now, not only is he interceding for us, but notice the description of his job. What does it say? We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the, we're back in John now, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, the one who is right, whose character is good, who can do no wrong. That's kind of the lawyer I want, right? That's always right, that can't do wrong? Like, yeah, let's go, buddy. Right? That's the kind of advocate you want. Somebody who will not fail who will not mess up, and who will never quit for you. The righteous, the one. 
kind of goes back to the faithful and just. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. All right? Not only that, but he's just. He is able to do it. All right? Um, and then, another big word, okay? So remember, if we do sin, remember we have a righteous advocate who, not only is he righteous, but he was our propitiation. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. Ooh, that's a good word. Propitiation, what does that mean? Well, a propitiation is a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God and turns it into favor. All right, that's the definition. A sacrifice that bears the wrath of God and turns it into favor. So think about that. A sacrifice that bears the wrath of God. What happened on the cross? When Jesus was on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Quoting uh, Psalm 22. But still, think about the events. The earth shook, right? The, it was dark during the middle of the day for six hours, right? God turned his face away. What songs? Is that in Christ alone we sing that? Turned his face away. Is that in the Christ alone? Anyway, yeah. He turned his face away. Darkness over the land. Earthquake. Even the Roman soldier who was standing there nailed him to the cross, saw all this happening and goes, wow, truly this man was the son of God. The Roman soldier said that when he saw all that was going on. He was the sacrifice that took all of our sin. Okay, And that's good, but that's not enough. He is also the one who turned the wrath into favor. That's important, too. Think about this part. Okay, Imagine, for example, you're trying to buy a house, but you're already in debt. You're in debt, I don't know, 100 gazillion dollars or something, right? Some crazy made-up number. Or let's just say a million dollars. You're in debt a million dollars, and you want to go buy a house. Right? Somebody comes and pays off your debt. Sweet. That's awesome. Can I buy the house now? No, you still have zero money. <laughs> right? You have zero. This is what it would be like if God forgave all of our sins and just stopped right there. We'd be at zero. Well, guess what we need to get into heaven? We don't need just zero sin. We need perfect righteousness. We need perfect obedience. Because what's going to happen as soon as we get to zero, what's going to happen two seconds later? We'd be back in the negatives again, right? We're going to continue to go in debt, right? We need not just for zero sins, we need perfect obedience. This is what the propitiation means. He turned the wrath into favor, paid the debt, and gave us his righteousness, gave us his life so that we could be free so that we could actually afford the house now, right? That's sweet. And have a bunch left over to live with. All right, the, the analogy. Anyway, so this is all wrapped up in this word propitiation, an amazing word, an amazing concept. The wrath of God turned into favor, into favor. Incredible. So now, as Jesus Christ the Advocate is standing up there in front of God the Father, right, God the Father says, what about this guy? And Jesus says, oh, don't worry about that guy. I've got him. I paid his debt, and I give him my righteousness too. God the Father says, okay, he's good. No problem. 
That's what Jesus' job is doing. That's what he's doing. That's what his life did. That's what his salvation does. He gives us all that we need. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. And not only for ours, look at this as well, and some people, will they take this out of context, get a little confusing, so we'll just mention it really quickly. Um, Verse 2, he says he's the propitiation for our sins, John talking about his readers, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, the sins of the whole world. So does this mean that everybody is going to be saved? Everybody goes to heaven? No. Take into context, right? Take into context everything. Don't pull that out by itself. Because John just got done saying that, right, if you say you're, um, what does he say? If you walk in darkness, you lie and don't practice the truth. So the people walking in darkness, are they, no, there's, what is he saying? The job, the sacrifice of Jesus is good enough for the whole world. All right, this is what the writer of Hebrews talks about. One sacrifice made one time for sin for everybody, eternal. Okay, that's why it couldn't be just a man that came and made the sacrifice for us. Right? It had to be an eternal God who could sacrifice for eternal sin. Right? That's what Jesus did on the cross. All sin, past, present, future. He paid the price. Right? Jesus paid it all. Oh, we should have sung that song. We'll save that one for next time. All to him I owe. All right. So, here we go. Things to remember. How do we not sin? Remember God is good. Remember we're bad. Confess your sins, and he will cleanse you of all righteousness. What happens if we do sin? Don't get discouraged, because we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, who is our propitiation, who is our sacrifice, right? Turn the wrath of God into favor for us. All right, so don't be discouraged, okay? Don't be discouraged. Ooh, I sin. Go back to confession, right? God, you're good. I'm bad. Go back to confession. Thank you, Jesus, for being my advocate. Thank you for being my propitiation. What does it look like when we do that? What does it look like when we remember God's good, we're bad, we remember Jesus is our advocate, when we believe, when we trust in this? Look what it says in verse 3. Verse 3, chapter 2. And this we know, that when we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments... All right, so what does a believer, one who has been saved by Christ, what does a believer look like? Well, one thing, all right, there's three in here, but one thing, this we know, if we keep his commandments. Do you notice the language? We know you're saved by the way you keep the commandments. It's not you kept the commandments, therefore you're saved, it's... I can tell you've been saved by the way you obey. Do you see that? There's a big difference. We don't work to earn our salvation, to earn our pleasure with God or please God, right? Our obedience is produced by salvation. Our obedience is produced by salvation, not the other way around, right? Our obedience doesn't produce the salvation. The salvation produces the obedience, Does that make sense? Very important, right? 
Because then you start thinking like, oh, maybe I can earn God's favor. Well, then we make God a liar again, because we just got done saying he's the propitiation for our sins, right? The sacrifice that was necessary to turn God's wrath into favor. Do you earn, do you work to earn that? No, we don't work to earn that, right? That's God's love being poured out on us, which we'll get to more in a minute. So, number one, what does it look like? If we keep his commandments, the obedience is produced by our salvation. Then look what it says, um, verse 5, um, or we'll go verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. All right, so the second thing that if we remember all that we said a minute ago, right, we'll keep his commandments and we'll keep his word, right? Believers, those who have been saved by God, love his word, right? They love his commandments and they love his word, okay? Keep his word. Look what it says, and we'll come back to this love of God is perfected. We're going to spend a minute on that. By this we may know that we are in him. John says that twice. By this we may know. Whoever says, we're in verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what does a believer look like? Three things. Keep his commandments, right? Obviously not perfectly because John just got done saying that if you sin, right, Remember these things. You have an advocate. Confess your sins. He's faithful to cleanse you of, your, of unrighteousness, right? We keep his word. We, we have a love for God's word. And then our lives look like the life of Christ, right? We walk the same way in which he walked. This is what it looks like to be a believer. And of course, just in context, it's a process, Notice that last part, we just kind of skipped over it. The love of God is being perfected, right? Perfected. What does that tell you? The love of God is being perfected. It's a process, right? It's a process. This whole thing, this whole life is a process of God pouring love in and love coming out of you, right? The more we realize... How much Jesus has done for us. What does that do? Right? It produces these things. It produces the obedience. It produces the love for his word. It produces our life looking like Christ. The more we realize. So, I have a quick analogy, quick story. Let's think about obedience for a minute. All right? Love, obedience, the relationship here. Um... Many of you have uh, experience with children and teenagers, teenagers maybe especially, or seven-year-olds or four-year-olds or whatever. We got see plenty of this at home. You tell them to do something, anything, right? Uh, go clean your room, put those pair of shoes away, you know, something simple. And what do you get, you know? Ugh! can't believe you tell me to do stuff all the time. You're so mean. You get that a lot. The mean is recent. Um, we're, we're so mean just because we tell them to do stuff. Um, what else? Trying to think of those. Another one. Uh, why do I have to do this? And so and so. We get the whys. Oh, man. The whys about kill me. 
Stop asking why. Anyway, just do it. But think about it. The exasperated obedience, right? Even if they go do it, right? Even if it's, ah, grab their shoes. You know, throw them in the closet, close the closet. There, shoes are away. I obeyed. It's like, yeah, sure you did. Yep, shoes are away, right? But what is the kid, what's the kid doing? All right, think about just, just for a minute, okay? This isn't, does a kid, teenager, whatever, young adult, you could, I mean, I don't know, you could be 40 and still do that. There's adult temper tantrums. Anyway, we still do that, right? What are we doing? What are we doing when we do that? When we throw, when we throw these little fits, when we think about, we're buying into the lie, we're buying into the lie that the world is about me, that the world is about us. Think about that. Think about the four-year-old, you know? The seven, well, you, well, you just use seven, right? Oh, I can't believe I have to do this, right? Was the world all about you? Yeah, it sure is, right? It's about me. Why do you have to be so mean? All that kind of stuff. What are they doing? It's the selfishness that's wrapped up inside of us that makes us believe the lie right? We want to put ourselves on top. We're the king of my little domain or of the whole world, if you want to say, right? Um, just think about, I, I think I'm, I don't know, we'll use a weird example, but you can hopefully connect the dots. Um, I want to pretend to be a cat, and you have to believe I'm a cat too, right? And you have to affirm my catness, right? What are we doing? We're letting selfishness take over the world. We're believing the lie that I am God, right? We're believing that. Does that produce, right, what kind of obedience, even though they threw the, they threw the shoe away, whatever, in the closet, the, the shoes are technically in the closet, right? But it's selfish, right? They didn't do it because they love you, right? What does love and obedience look like? How is that different? How is that different? The love obedience would be first time, right away, right? All the way with a happy heart, joyful. Go put your shoes away. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. These shoes are going to be put away so good. Yeah, that's awesome. What else do you have for me? What else can I do to serve you, right? Yeah. Any teenager ever said that? I don't think so, unless they were wanting something. Anyway, what does it look like? So think about this for a minute. The obedience that we have. All right, you might obey a commandment from God, okay? Don't steal. So you look at something, man, I want that. I'm not going to take it because that would be stealing. That would be wrong. You know, the little uh, automatic teller machine, instead of spitting out a $1 change, spits out a 20. Hmm. Thank you very much. That's happened to me before, and I gave in. I'm confessing to you right now. I took the 20. I feel bad about it. I do. So I'm confessing. But anyway, so you steal. I steal, right? What would happen here? What if the love of God was pouring into me? 
right? What would that produce? What would that look like instead? Right? Instead of me being selfish, what is the love of God being poured in? If I remember that Jesus had to die for my sin, that Jesus sacrificed everything for me, right? All of my sin put him on the cross and killed him, right? And he did that to cleanse me from all my sin. And all of a sudden that 20 comes out and you're like, ooh, I better not steal this. Hey, um, teller, this spit me out of 20. I, I don't need this. So you, you know, whatever. And who knows, the teller might put it back in their pocket. I don't know. But you didn't steal, right? It produces a humility, right? It produces a reliance on God, okay? Where you remember, I am bad. That's humility. But you remember God is good, right? That's the reliance on him. It's not about me. It's God who justifies. It's not about us. And here's the cool part. 1 John 5, 3 This is what he says. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Whoa. Not burdensome. That's amazing. Why, how come God's commandments are not burdensome? All right, think about the four-year-old again. Go put your shoes away. Oh, right? It's a burden. Can't believe I have to do this. So awful. Why is it a burden? Because they're thinking about themselves. I don't want to do that. Now, if God has saved you, if God has cleansed you from all unrighteousness, and now God tells you, don't lie, don't steal. Hey, come to church, worship me. Remember my Sabbath day and keep it holy. Right? Take any one of the commandments. Honor your parents. Don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet, right? If we remember God is good, why do we want to keep his commandments? Because that's the, the love of God being produced in us. And not only that, but that's the most loving thing in this world, right? It is God's plan. This is how God designed the world to work, was according to those commandments. How do we treat God and how do we treat one another? Look at those Ten Commandments. That's how he designed it, right? And his commandments are not burdensome anymore because we know his law is good. We know it's a good law. We know he gave it to us because he loves us, right? And we know that he has the best plan for our lives. Not in this world, not our life, not our selfishness, but we know that. This is what it means to have the love of God perfected in us. The more we put ourselves aside, and God's love poured out, right? God pours love in so that that love can come out to others. This is what we, theological terms, if you want to say, this is the sanctification process, right? The love of God being perfected in us. What does that look like? We keep his commandments. We love his word. We walk the way he walks, right? Here's a look at, uh, back up at 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 7. We read this a minute ago, all right? What does the love of God look like? When it's being perfected, what does it look like? Verse 7 says, We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. That's what the love of God being perfected looks like in a believer. 
So hopefully you have some things to think about. We have to ask ourselves, right? Remember some things. How do I not sin? Remember God's good. We're not. And confess that to him. And if we do sin, we remember he's our advocate. He's our propitiation. And then you have some thinking to do as well. Does my life look like one that keeps God's commandments? One that loves his word? One that walks as he walks? Right? If you can see a progression, if you can see in your life, talk to somebody else. If they say, well, yeah, sure, you've used to do this, but you don't do that anymore. Like you've gotten a lot better at this. You've gotten a lot better at that. Something like that. It's hard to see sometimes when you, like my child, I see them every day, so I don't really see the growth. But you talk to somebody who hadn't seen them in five years, and they're like, wow, that's incredible. It just sprung up. I remember when they were this tall. You know, remember that? Anyway, you don't see the growth. Somebody else might. So talk to other people. But then if you cannot see any of that, then what what does John tell us to do? Confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the grace that you've given us. We thank you for being our advocate in heaven, interceding always for us that when we sin, Lord, you are working. You are producing obedience in us. Lord, give us your spirit. Help us to remember that you are the sacrifice that turned God's wrath into into mercy, into grace. You turned God's wrath into favor. Now we can boldly approach the throne, Lord, knowing that it is your righteousness that we have. Help us, Lord, to live a life of keeping your commandments, a life that is keeping your word, a life that looks like Jesus, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.